Disclaimer. I am not a licensed therapist, counselor, or professional broadcaster. The following are stories from my life and personal experiences and are the property of me. There will be profanity, quite a fucking bit of it, so please keep that in mind along with adult themes and topics. Listener discretion is advised. I've always wanted to say that. Hi and welcome to episode 5 of Here She Comes, Confessions of a Retired Vibrator Seller. In this episode, we will take a short break from my second novel, Bring Your Own Batteries, so that I can explain what sex school was and what I learned there. First of all, I should qualify, sex school isn't a series of courses about subjects like licking for love, tickling tutorials, and nibbling 101. If that's what you're picturing, I hate to disappoint. It was really five solid days of training on paperwork, product information, and general biology that is required when you decide to sell vibrators for a living. Now, I did learn some really fascinating things, which I plan to pass along through this podcast. Before we get there, though, let me give you a minute to finish if you're now picturing the homework involved in a course about nibbling 101. Actually, hold on, I might need a second myself. When I made up my mind that I was going to sell dildos and vibrators, I contacted the company and asked how I could get started. They told me there was an intense comprehensive five-day training period that was mandatory. That year, it was being held in Gananoque, Ontario, in case you don't know where that is. Going to training meant that I would have to close our family business for five days, something that had never happened before. So for the first time in the store's history and my own, I closed up the shop and took a giant leap of faith to head off to training. It was the second week of February, 2004. I loaded up my car and headed out to Gananoque. I exited the highway and made my way to the motor inn where we were being put up. In the lobby, I met my roommate, future dildo diva, Tanya. Tanya was casually dressed with a very noticeable laid-back attitude. It was really easy to warm up to her. She had no errors about her and she was instantly super, super approachable. When she smiled, her whole face lit up and I knew we'd be fast friends the second I saw her. We headed up to her room and unpacked a few things while we idly chatted about our lives. She was living common law with her partner and their three children. I told her I was dating a muscular dude who never stopped talking about sex. Naturally, these are the kinds of things women share. I showed her a picture of Lammy and she visibly swooned. The hotel was mediocre at best, but it felt like a five-star room because it had been so long since I was away from my work and not stressing about the store. The first day of training, we found out that our lessons would take place 40 minutes from the hotel. Once we were there, Tanya and I met two other consultants we would spend the rest of the week with, Dee and Teresa. Dee was an older woman, married and constantly snacking on something. She was the first person to introduce me to chocolate rolls, and I fucking hate her for it every time I stuff a box down my throat. No, really, I love you, Dee. Teresa was a quiet, really warm blonde who had been with the same man for almost 15 years. I remember saying to her, when did you meet when you were five? She looked so young. 
It amazed me how four strangers could within moments open up about their personal lives so quickly. Then again, it was sex school, of course, so I guess it's to be expected. The first day we were handed giant red binders that had pages on how to take orders, basic product information, various sketches and pictures, ranging from sex positions to images of anatomy. I opened my binder right to the picture of a sketch of two vaginas. One showed the clitoris positioned at the top of the crest and the other showed it closer to the vaginal opening. I'm not going to lie. When I first saw it, it totally caught me off guard. The image on the left showed the clitoris over the vaginal opening, which is the case for apparently 15% of the female population. Us girls in the class referred to them as the lucky bitches for the rest of training. The picture on the right side of the drawing showed the clitoris at least an inch or two above the opening, which is the case for approximately 85% of the female population. Now, this is really, really important. It may not sound like much when you say it out loud. One to two inches. Like, what is that? But it may as well be a football field if you don't understand how your body works. And this started to gel for me when I was in training. It explains why more than half the female population, that's right, half the female population has never had an orgasm. I can't stress this enough. If you've never looked at your lady bits, please go get a mirror and look. Every woman is unique, so what works for your bestie girlfriend may not necessarily work for you, and you really need to know why if you are going to enjoy yourself and enjoy your time with others. On a side note, I later got quite a bit of amusement asking the young boy at Staples to laminate the picture of the vaginas for me so I could use it in my presentations. I went up to the counter, asked if they laminated, and he said they could do it on the spot. I said, great, here's what I want done. I handed him the paper, and the sweet kid turned away, went to the machine, laminates it, comes back. 60 shades of red when he returns the glossy page. But I'll give him kudos. He looked me square in the eyes and asked me what I was using the pictures for. So I told him it was for selling vibrators. And then, without hesitating, he immediately asked me for advice on how to make his girlfriend happier in bed. I was beginning to think sex school was going to be snore fest for the entire first four days. All we did was learn about how to fill out product forms, how to book parties, how to stay positive, how to reorder from head office, and how to calculate sales totals and fill out inventory sheets, blah, blah, blah. Over those four days, the four of us did a lot of bonding, though. We shared a lot of personal stories. Now, in those days, text messages still cost a lot of money per text, so I hardly heard anything from Lammy the entire time I was away. All three of my training mates were in long-term relationships. I was the only one still at the beginning phase. So by the fifth day, when we started getting into fornicating fantasies and foreplay, things really amped up and everything I thought I knew was tossed out the window. For example, true or false, 85% of all males reach orgasm within two minutes of entering the vagina. When the trainer asked that question, I remember the look on everyone's faces. It was quiet acceptance. I shouted, no fucking way. Now I'll say this of Lammy. He could go on for what felt like hours. Then there was the next question. True or false? Just prior to a woman achieving orgasm, the clitoris retracts, which makes further stimulation more difficult. I think I made the trainer repeat it three times before I got the answer wrong. Now I'm going to repeat it for you. True or false? 
Just prior to a woman achieving orgasm, the clitoris retracts, which makes further stimulation more difficult. The answer is true. And somehow in training, it didn't make sense to me. Then I really started to think about it. There is a point where you get really close, like you're going to bust through that orgasmic door, but the knob won't turn. Sorry, that's a really lousy metaphor, but I'm trying to make a point. That's the moment when your mind starts to wander and you start thinking, hmm, what are we going to have for dinner tomorrow night? The towels in the main bathroom, I think I need to replace those. And is that paint chipping up there in the corner on the top? No, I'm not sure. And you get all kinds of other distracting thoughts. And these are the things that keep you from full-on bliss. When this little nugget of information really sank in for me, I started to incorporate it into my presentations. An aunt of mine from India gave me a large crystal ring. The thing was a massive circular crystal with a super small hole in the center. I told her I don't usually wear these clunky jewelry kind of things and she insisted I take it because, I quote, it will attract a gem like husband for you. Whatever. I took the ring. I wore it. No husband showed up, so I forgot about it. And then it occurred to me that it would double as a visual prop when I was selling the adult toys. Okay, so now you have to picture this. I would pretend the jewel was my clitoris and hold it down by my legs to demonstrate just how the oversensitive little knob would pop under the hood and hide when it got too engorged. I'd put my other hand over the bobble and I would just duck the little diamond underneath my hand and then pop it back out. So I would show them that you had to gently coax the bobble back out to the point of dizzying delight. It was a great visual aid, I must say, and I ended up using this information in my shows to make the most important point of all. Once I showed women the giant stone that was mocking the location of my clitoris, I would ask them, and your orgasm is where, ladies? Okay, now some would say under the hood or in the clitoris, but the answer is not those. The answer is your orgasm is in your head. A woman needs to play that sexual movie in her brain to get to the point of orgasm. And when the clitoris is overstimulated and physically hiding, it takes a full use of her brain to coax it back out. When being seduced, the most important fact that all men and women need to understand is that for a woman, the seduction begins with her brain. And I say that in direct response to a few men who truly thought that if they could just buy their women the same bobble ring I was wearing, they'd be able to achieve orgasm too. Uh, sorry, that's not quite how it works. By the last day of training, my brain was swimming with information. We were asked on the last day to put together a vision board of what we wanted to achieve with our new careers. Mine had four pictures on it. One, I wanted to make a difference in women's lives. Two, I wanted to pay for highlights in my hair from the money I had made selling toys. Three, I wanted to treat myself to a full day at the spa. And four, I wanted a brawny man to share my expertise with. I drew a picture of myself with a man who looked like Lammy, but had a question mark for a head. We wrote each other notes on our experiences and our impressions of each other, and to this day, 
I still have those lovely notes from my sex school sisters, and I treasure the kind words they wrote on those pages. Thank you, ladies. We said our teary goodbyes. It's crazy how quickly you can bond with someone who you didn't know in such a short period of time. And then we all drove off in different directions, bags of products given to us with the explicit instructions to go home and play with all of them. I remember it was February 13th and it had started raining. So the roads were really sheets of ice. I drove slowly and carefully to get home, squashing every dirty erotic thought that was popping into my head just so I could focus on getting home in one piece. When I got home, I was aching quite literally to impart all my knowledge on Lammy. I called him the second I got home. You're back, baby, he asked me when I called. Oh my god, Lammy, I can't wait to tell you all about sex school. Sex school? What the hell is that? I thought you were going to training for the dildo job. I just called it sex school because most of it was boring, but I met the most amazing women. Oh, and I learned so much. So much more makes sense to me. I can't wait to tell you all about it. There was a heavy, long pause. I was expecting him to fill the gap with his own excitement, but it wasn't forthcoming. I have some news of my own, he says to me. And I was afraid to ask. What? I, uh, I got a job. That's great news, I said. He had been out of work for a few months and the stress of it was beginning to take a huge toll on our relationship, so this was good news. Uh, there's just one thing, he said. What? It's not in Ottawa, is it? You were looking for work here, right? I told you it wasn't going to be easy to find a job doing what I do there. The job isn't in Ottawa. Well, where is it then? Are you staying in Montreal? Another heavy, long pause. And then he finally said, It's in Mississauga. Mississauga? You're moving to Toronto? That's farther away. I was furious. He hadn't told me he was taking interviews in another city. I had assumed he was going to find a job in Ottawa. He said he loved me, so why wouldn't he do what it takes to be next to me? There's uh, just one more thing. I'm, uh, I'm going to be living with Lenny while I'm there. What? So, let me get this straight. You're not only taking a job in a city that is five hours away from me, but you are also going to be living with your ex-girlfriend while you're there? You must be fucking joking. Listen, baby, it's easier this way. Nothing is going to happen with her. You know that. I just can't find a place before I get there. I need to find something. I don't want to see you. I'm so furious right now. I can't talk to you. Insert here the longest pause of all of them. Baby, I know you're upset, he said. Upset doesn't even fucking touch the surface. I'm enraged. Don't bother coming up here to see me tomorrow. I don't want to see your stupid fat face. But it's Valentine's Day. Shove your heart up your ass. No, better still, shove it up Linny's ass when you see her. Listen, baby, we can still have a nice weekend if you just be reasonable. I can't believe this. I just got home with $1,600 worth of sex toys. It's fucking Valentine's Day and you're telling me that you're moving in with your ex-girlfriend and I'm the one that's being unreasonable. I hung up the phone and I cried for three hours. It was after that weekend that I started to really consider what Valentine's Day was really all about. The cash grab of holiday aside, what did having a Valentine really mean? For me, 
It certainly wasn't a romantic weekend of sex toys, edible lotions, and long massages I had pictured while driving through an ice storm. No, no, no. I was beginning to see that the most important Valentine wasn't them. It was me. And it was that revelation that inspired me to write the following passage, which I will read for you now from my novel, Sex and Samosas. Just to recap, in my novel, the timid and shy protagonist, Lena, is with her best friend, Mahjong, at a vibrator party when the consultant, Clarissa, tells the women that if they haven't looked at themselves, they really need to in order to understand how their bodies work. While Lena decides to take Clarissa's advice and look at herself for the first time, she reminisces about a gift from her grandmother, who she refers to as her daddy, after one particular Valentine's Day she will never forget. Why did I need to look there anyway? I vaguely recall Clarissa saying something about knowing what the boat looked like so you could direct the captain to the helm during your presentation. Mahjong doodled a cartoon of sperm at a ship's wheel on her paper and giggled when she showed it to me. The one quick glance I had been brave enough to take ended too fast for me to really create a strong visual image in my mind. I locked the bedroom and bathroom door despite the fact that I was alone at home and dropped my towel on the floor taking in my nakedness and the mad disarray of my damp, curly hair around my face. I needed a closer look. Somehow, the idea of jumping on the vanity and lifting my leg up to see myself felt beyond my flexibility. Perhaps if my mother had let me take ballet when I was a young girl, I would be able to do it, but according to her, ballet made your toes break and crack, and no one wanted a bride without feet. I found the small pink heart-shaped plastic mirror my daddy gave me when I was in grade school. It was after one particularly memorable Valentine's Day. Her teacher asked us to make our own cards and secretly place them in pouches at the front of the person's desk that we admired most. I worked on my Valentines for a whole week, crafting each one by hand and applying the Indian sparkles I removed from my intricate bedspread to them. I was sure they would be the most unique and treasured cards of all, and since I didn't want to exclude anyone, I made enough for the whole class. On Valentine's Day, my schoolmates eagerly tore open their pouches and read their cards. I opened mine. It was empty. Later that afternoon, I found several of the cards I had made dumped in the trash bin at the front of the class. I cried all the way home. My daddy went out the next day and bought me the plastic heart-shaped mirror. Look in this, Lena, when you want to see the only Valentine that counts, she said. She probably wouldn't approve of me using it to look at my pubic area, but it was all I could find. Thanks for listening. I want to give a really special shout out to everyone who has subscribed to this podcast. Here She Comes is being listened to all over the globe, and it is a really, really beautiful feeling. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful. On the next episode, we return to the story of Bring Your Own Batteries, and you do not want to miss it. That's a little hint about what the next one's going to be about. In the meantime, it's free to subscribe, so please do. And you can also reach out to me via social media. You can follow me on Instagram, jasmine underscore aziz on twitter at jasmine aziz and i'm on facebook or email me at jasmine at jasmineaziz.com until next time remember that the best part of life is love so be sure to open your heart to it because here she comes 
just a popcorn dream and gonna redden back the bloody you up. I'm gonna shiver you, shake and quiver you, shiver you up.